Today I want to share with you something maybe rather unexpected. I am building a software as a service business again. You heard that right. After a few years of writing exclusively for people, I'm coding for machines again. And this time I'll share the whole journey right from the beginning, starting today. This episode is sponsored by Acquire.com, which is great because that's precisely where I want to see this software as a service business end up in a few years. Listed for a couple million on Acquire and then Acquired. So that's one of the goals I have. I'll talk about the rest of the goals during this whole conversation today. I'll dive into everything. Let us build in public. Now, I've been a software engineer for decades. I've pretty much all my life I've been interested in that kind of stuff, but I've been a professional engineer for many decades now. Coding was always an option for me. But over the last three years, since selling our SaaS business Feedback Panda back in 2019, I focused more on writing and building a media business around my knowledge as a founder, as a developer, and a creator, and helping other founders, developers, and creators start their stuff. And it's been enjoyable to shift my focus, really, just on education, especially because I got to interview people on my podcast. That alone has made it all worth it for me, really. I got to know people, I learned from them, and I got to share all of that with the world at the same time. I could not imagine a more rewarding experience. But recently, I felt this itch to code again. And I mean, I've always felt it a little, but I never had a reason to dive back into it. But the more I saw the developments in the software space, the more I got excited. With AI tools now being available to everyone, not just big companies, it's been exciting to just see what's happening and, you know, think about diving back into coding. ChatGPT, GitHub Copilot, Meta's Llama, and now Google's Gemini, all of that stuff happens so rapidly, so fast. Every day brings new tools and products to the market. Exciting, right? And that is the kindling under the entrepreneurial fire. At least it was for me. And I've built software businesses around problems that I understood and experienced in the past. Most of the things that were successful for me have worked out like this. That's always been my approach. Find challenges in the communities that I was already in. And one of these businesses is Permanent Link, which is a SaaS I built, must have been around 2020, 2021. Just a tool that creates permanent links for authors to, to use in their books so that the links always work, either linking to the intended site or to an archived version. That's a problem that I personally had with my first book. And I found a lot of other writers struggling with it as well. So I built a little business there, which is nice. It's still running and it has a couple of customers, nothing too big, but it does work. And I believe finding problems you understand is the right way because you've faced similar challenges in the past and that's a great way to build a business. So now I'm working on another SaaS business because of exactly that. The big reveal, I've spent the last week or two, I guess, weekish, building a prototype for something that I call podline.fm. And Podline provides voice messaging services to creators, mostly podcasters, and those running audio-centric businesses because that's exactly what I do and understand. If you want to have like audio-centric conversations with your listeners as a podcaster or your viewers, your customers, your peers, the tools in the market right now are pretty limited. 
a lot of podcasts who want their listeners to send in messages have resorted to actually ask them to like record a voice memo and email that over. That's how it works for huge podcasts, just because it's so hard to manage this. And now there's a saying in SaaS that whenever a spreadsheet is emailed between professionals, that's a software business waiting to happen. I think this includes having audio messages being recorded locally on their phones and then emailed and then painfully organized in some email client. And that's kind of what I needed, right? A, a tool that made that happen because I toyed with asking for listener questions before, but the tools were horrible and I couldn't manage the many submissions that I did get when I did ask. So now that my podcast audience is in the five figures, regular tools won't cut it anymore. And this is where Podline comes in. It's a podcaster tool that helps manage and use audio from audience call-ins, pretty much what it is. And this isn't an original idea, by the way. I've seen many similar solutions online, like on Seth Godin's Akimbo podcast, where a listener sent in questions and he answers them on the show. The tool for that already exists, but it kind of is it's not the best. It's just, it does kind of what you need, but not well. And this format is so popular for shows that involve the community heavily, but the quality of those calls through the tools that exist often feels like someone was calling in from a phone or talking through potato, not, not a high quality microphone. I want better quality for myself and for other professional podcasters who struggle with listener voicemail reception. That's my market. Podcasts with an existing audience that is already willing to call in questions, feedback, comments, and lots more. I'm building a collection and management system for professional and serious content creators. That's my niche. It's very intentionally chosen because I could have built a tool for everybody, but I know that that's the wrong way to do it. So I go where there's already demand. This is what Justin Jackson of Transistor FM, also a great podcasting tool, always says, right? Find the pole of the market. And this is the pole of the market. People who already have a stake in their existing podcast being run well. And that's where I'm going. And do these people have a budget? Well, they sure do. Again, th that is, it's already professional and serious podcasters that I'm trying to reach. Even the not so great existing tools are being used by thousands of podcasts and they're paid for. I know this because I looked up my main competitors or the other products in the field and ran competitor research reports through builtwith.com, which is a tool that scrapes the internet and checks out which tech stacks and tools it can infer from the HTML of the landing pages and applications. It's a big scraper that just tries to figure out what services you use by looking at the domains that your website wants to connect to, pretty much what it is. And these reports they're not cheap. The monthly plan for BuiltWith is just under $400, so that's quite an upfront expense. But the list of websites and emails and estimated tech budgets for the companies using the current solutions out there, that's what I have now. That's a full Excel export that I have like thousands, like in the middle range of thousands, half, like 5,000 or three or four, depends on how you uh, structure the report. That is the number of websites that I know use and pay for a tool like this. That's a very useful and highly motivating source of information because money flows already. And I know where it flows from and where it flows to. All I need to do now is to build the thing and put myself in there as well. Offer something better for people who really need it. And that's what got me incredibly excited, obviously, because you see a problem, you see a budget. Well, you're a developer, why not go for it, right? Because the excitement is not just about the product and the market, it's also about coding because I knew that looking at the world of AI, coding 
as I knew it back from 2019, when I last did it professionally as a, like a full business, has changed completely. We now live in the age of AI. And if you're like getting tired of this, hear me out. Like it, something happened that was really substantial. And I was skeptical as a traditional software engineer. I know how to code, right? Why would I need a machine's help? Why would I need these language models to tell me what to do? But honestly, I'm glad I gave it a shot. Over the last week, I've had several moments where I just laughed out loud sitting at my computer on just how efficient the AI integrations that I was using were. Like Google Copilot integration in my editor is just like chef's kiss. Several times I've stared in disbelief at the amazing suggestions that it made, which were exactly what I was planning to code up next. Like you cannot believe if you've never used it, how incredible these kind of tools are. Like you you define, I don't know, a new field in the database in, in your model somewhere, and then you go into the controller or whatever you use for it, and you start typing what you think you you need to be doing and the the copilot just suggests the whole code block exactly as you would have typed it out but it would have taken you five minutes and there it sits like one tab away it's incredible it can be jarring to see a language model understand your code base almost better than yourself but it's incredibly helpful and it's mostly free. I think like ChatGPT is, you know, you can use the, the free version or you can pay like your 20 bucks a month or Google Copilot is like 10 bucks a month. This is technically free for somebody who codes all the time or codes a little sometimes. It's, it's incredible. And that's the coding side. I found AI incredibly helpful for debugging as well, because a few dozen times now over the last week, having built stuff, I have thrown error messages and the corresponding code directly into ChatGPT4. And until now, at least, I've always gotten a correct or mostly correct answer back that really helped me get on the way to a solution. This has increased my development speed by at least 5x, if not 10x. I'm, I think Copilot and ChatGPT turn every developer into a 10x developer, which kind of devalues the 10x developer thing, but it was a meme anyhow. Just saying, like these tools massively impact, not on what code I write, because I still write the code I want to write. I don't take stuff verbatim, right? I always look at it, but the speed at which you explore it and the speed at which you get the things done that you need to get done is incredible. Because the Podline is not a tiny project. I'm building a product that makes capturing high quality audio easier, so that's one side, and it helps podcasts with millions of listeners manage their messaging data reliably. That's the backend side, right? So it's not small. It has to be well done. The idea is to create a reliable voicemail system for podcasts with lots of incoming messages. So let's talk tech a little bit for a minute here. Over the past week or so, I've been working on a prototype, and as expected, it's been technically challenging not the SaaS part, really, like the backend, like users and all that kind of stuff. I got a lot of experience there. I'll dive into how I built this too today, but let's start with the, the part that was more surprisingly complicated. The recording part has been more complicated than I thought. Capturing audio through the browser can be extremely difficult because different browsers and the implementation of the web audio AI, they just have completely different approaches to stuff. Some browsers are extremely protective of their user's microphone and you can't even check if you're allowed to, to use the microphone, which is a Firefox problem. Other browsers, mostly Chrome, make this super easy. Everything is well-documented and streamlined, works out of the box. Safari has a weird like three-second delay before audio comes in. It's, it's all like random or it seems random. And it depends on the implementation of audio on each of these browsers. And then there are different audio formats, some of which work in Chrome and not in Safari, and the other way around, complicated. 
The next part is storing the audio that I take in in a high quality format. That's also tough because you can't just use small MP3 files. You have to deal with large amounts of audio data, like raw audio data, and then use server-side audio encoding to turn it into an MP3, which people can listen to. But if they want to use, that's the whole idea, right? You record really good audio and then you use it in your podcast and you want really good high quality audio to be able to import it into your podcast and do processing or whatever. You don't want an MP3 that sounds like it's recorded through a tin can, which that's, uh, yeah, it's just hard. And it's something I've never done before. The kinds of data I had to work with in the past was mostly text, maybe a few images here or there, but with audio, it becomes more complicated. File size explodes and resource cons consumption does too. That has been an interesting challenge. But the goal is to make this product unique right, in terms of how well it deals with this data. So it's just a technical challenge for me to overcome. But I want it to be, want it to be unique in improving both the capturing process, high-quality audio, and the backend management for podcasts. So that's the plan, right? Build a voicemail system that enhances audio quality and makes managing call-ins easier for podcasters everywhere. The innovation happens on both levels, sound quality and ease of message management, because those are the main pain points that I hear about on the grapevine of the podcaster community. They want better audio and be able to deal with it. So I'm diving heavily into backend processing. I'm fortunate to live with, and incidentally have built a prior business with, a professional audio engineer. So that's where we'll tackle the audio quality features, but that's something that, that I'll get to over the next couple of weeks. Just recording good audio, that's already enough, and I am at that point. Making it sound better, that's that's for later. Here's something that I've already started with and have found, to my absolute surprise, to work extremely well already. That's transcription and summarization of audio. Because when it comes to managing audio data, having its content as searchable text and understanding what it's about at a glance, those are some things that are severely lacking from the voice messaging space right now. So I used what I have learned about GPU-based language models in the past, which in my case was that you don't need a GPU to run them on your computer at all. Because for my podcast, I've been using CPU-based fast transcribers for months now, right? I have a little script that uh, whenever I finish a recording a podcast episode like this, I run over it and it gives me a full transcript within a minute. And it's all command line stuff. So I knew that if I can run it on my laptop, which I use it on, I can have it on the server, which is precisely what I did. And it took me less than an hour to actually build this. I created a server-side service using OpenAI's Whisper. That's a tool that they released for free, an open source transcription service for transcription. Or rather, I used the whisper.cpp implementation, which is kind of a CPU-only inference of something that used to need a graphics chip, right? You can run it on a computer without a graphics card, which usually is where all these AI things run on the graphics card because of the, the technology behind it, right? But Whisper CPP allows me to do it on a CPU alone, which is the kind of computer that sits in a rack in a data center somewhere. And I also built another service for summarization, because, like I said, I already knew how to do Whisper and OpenAI's like, transcription service, having built this before. Simple. But summarization was something completely new. And I wanted a service to provide a one or two sentence summary of any message that arrives on the server. The goal is that when my notification email goes out to the person operating the voicemail uh, tool, it already contains the audio and the transcribed and summarized content. That's the novelty, right? That's the, the uniqueness of the service is that it gives you all of this instead of just a link to an MP3 that you need to listen to. 
to. And I thought I would need to use ChatGPT for this, the API, OpenAI's platform, really. You know, the regular web application way. Whenever I would have an audio file, I would transcribe it, then send it to OpenAI. They would summarize it for me, charge me a fraction of a cent, and I get to use the results back on my server. Could persist it to the database. That was the idea. But this SaaS project was, from the beginning, supposed to be as cheap and dependency-free as possible from the start. I'm a huge fan of platform de-risking, I guess is what I could call it, which is removing the number of platforms that you depend on and building a core service feature like summarization to work exclusively with another one, like another API owned by somebody else. That was something I wanted to actively avoid. And I could already run Whisper locally, right? Because I was used to running it on my computer. Whisper also exists as an API on OpenAI's platform, but it's perfectly fine to run it locally. So I knew I could do this already, so, and I did. So the only thing that I would have to go for it to another service, it was the summarization. Well, maybe not. At least that's what I thought. So I dug into it a little bit. Fortunately, open source software is an amazing thing. And I found something during my implementation of whispers.cpp that made me perk up because the maintainer of this whole Whisper CPP tool also was the maintainer of Llama.cpp. And that, that library or whatever you want to call it, that implementation was precisely what I needed. Now, for, if you don't really know much about AI tools and systems, let me just give you a quick primer here. Llama is a collection of open and free to use language models and it was initially provided by Meta, you know, the Facebook people, and it aims to, or aimed, I guess, to outperform OpenAI's GPT models. Effectively, it's AI competition to ChatGPT and the models beneath. They've trained with between 7 billion and over 100 billion parameters, so their models vary in size and adequacy and accuracy, which that impacts the memory and execution time footprint of the models when you run them, as well as their file size. Then you add quantization to the mix and you have a very complicated AI system, but you have a complicated AI system that you can run easily and reliably on your own computer through tools like llama.cpp, which was mind-blowing to me. Because a year ago, I wouldn't even consider ever running something like this on a MacBook Air, let alone some server somewhere in a data center. But with Llama CPP, I had an open Llama model up and running in under 30 minutes. The whole thing was like four and a half gigabytes in size. It was a, a model trained with 7 billion parameters. And it was giving me ChatGPT style answers to my prompts. Maybe not within like a couple milliseconds, but it took a couple seconds and I got a reply, which was more than I needed. And it blew me away, particularly because this laptop has 16 gigabytes of RAM, just like the server that I spun up for Podline. So I knew it would also run on Podline on the server. And I had solved my problem because if I can run my transcription and my summarization on the server, then I will never have to pay a cent for any of these things. They can always run on that particular server as a background task. I would have to manage resources and, you know, not taking up too much RAM or whatever, but it would always run there. It would always run on the server forever for free. And that's crazy because that is just a, a completely independent software system that does magic. Well, I had to work on getting the prompt right. So that took me a bit. And I ultimately experimented with a few different language models, but this was working within hours. What I had believed to be the most complicated part of the tech MVP for this was all done in a single afternoon. Thanks to the open source libraries and the open source language models that we have the privilege to get for free 
if we know where to find them. I even added a few nice to haves to this, like automatically figuring out the tone of a message and what kind of message it is. Like, is it a question or spam or feedback or complaint? These things would be useful to give to people in the summary so they know, is it even worth for me listening to these five minutes of like an audio message or can I just delete it right now? And all of this in one Llama query on uh, a server that cost me like $20 a month to run is crazy. But with all of this transcription and summarization figured out, I could then dive into turning all of this into a server. So that brings us to the tech stack choice. And I, I know that will be interesting a couple of people will now start uh, cheering, I guess, and several other people might start crying because for this project, I'm using the Laravel PHP framework, which opened my eyes to modern software engineering because I didn't expect to ever find the framework this good. And honestly, had you asked me like a couple of years ago, I would have not expect to ever code in PHP again because... It's probably because I underestimated PHP. When I started coding, must have been around like 2000, 2001, PHP was my first language. And it was also the first language that I professionally worked in. Like we were talking PHP version four before it became like object oriented the way it is right now. It was a, yeah, it was just fun to build web apps that could be placed on a server without needing executables. And that's how I got into PHP in the first place, but it was also very clunky and under-tooled and didn't have a very strong or very mature community back in the day, so I moved on. And funny that I would move on to JavaScript because I don't think it had a very strong or mature community either, but I've been part of that community for a decade after that, witnessing its incredible growth, like started with jQuery or MooTools back in the day, really old school, making websites more interactive to the rise of frameworks like Angular. I was big in Angular 1 and Angular 2 and Vue and Svelte and React and all of these things. It's been amazing to watch that the thriving ecosystem there and the libraries that they've inspired were impressive, but there was always some kind of combativeness, some kind of aggression in the community that I didn't quite like. So that was my experience from JavaScript. I also explored the Elixir programming language and the, the frameworks around it, which um, are Phoenix and a lot of library systems that are existing in that space. Because I was hired at a company that was using this tech to build like a, um, what was it, like a Internet of Things management platform, which was fun to build. And Elixir is made for this, right? Highly uh, concurrent connections and stuff. It was really cool. It's a functional language that has a smaller but equally fascinating community as JavaScript because JavaScript is also functional-ish, kind of. You know, that there's a lot of overlap there. But the Elixir people focus on building high-performance software rather than chasing new ideas all the time, like people in JavaScript world would. So I got a first glimpse into a more mature and less argumentative community. My last several projects, and this includes Permanent Link, have been built with that tech. And then over the last couple of years, talking to all these wonderful experts on my podcast, like Jack Ellis of Fathom Analytics, or Aaron Francis, who uh, was on the show just very recently, and I see a lot of people working with this tech, and I'm like, hmm, is this interesting? Should I look into it? I think I'm glad I did, because Laravel, which is the brainchild of Taylor Otwell and many others, it has something unique that I haven't seen much in the JavaScript community or in other communities. It has a very intentional ecosystem that actually funds the development of the framework and its core plugins. It's pretty cool that the Laravel team hasn't just created a great framework, they've also set up a business around it that is quite the sight to behold. And 
that is interesting to look at from an entrepreneurial perspective to see how you can deal with software. Because Laravel is open source, right? You can download it, install it, and use it however you want. But there are extra tools, additional tools created by Taylor and his team that make it easy to do things like integrating Stripe for payments or monetary software with what is recently has been released called Laravel Pulse. These ecosystem tools exist. There is a lot of them. There's Laravel Breeze and Jetstream to spin up a working email-based authentication system with nifty features like two-factor auth and Teams. And these are mostly free and easy to use as plugins that automatically integrate into your system because they've been designed by the people who built the framework. And as a business owner and entrepreneur, I find this whole thing very interesting. And the monetization side of it is the most interesting part. The Laravel team has built tools for server management, deployment that work well and integrate with stuff like external resources like AWS or Hetzner servers or DigitalOcean droplets. There's something called Laravel Forge that lets you connect to such a server and Laravel Envoyer that makes it easy to have reliable and fast deployment scripts ready, connected with your GitHub repositories. Both of them charge like a monthly fee and you can pay this just for server orchestration that is tailored for this kind of application. Great integrations, it runs like background processes automatically because it finds certain things that it expects in a Laravel application, and you can be sure that this is handled by your orchestration system. For like 10 bucks a month, it is bizarre. And then there are also some software pieces that require a one-time license fee, like a fully Stripe-based billing backend, just 100 bucks or so. That's brilliant. It's brilliant monetization of an open source framework. You can all build all of this yourself. Like the, for, for um, what's it called? A Spark, Laravel Spark. That's the billing backend. That sits on top of Laravel Cashier, which itself is an open source implementation of the Stripe and the Paddle API. So you don't need to buy Spark if you want to have a billing backend. You can just use the open source version and just code it up yourself. But for 100 bucks, you get all of this done using the same library you would have used anyway, but using it in a way that the people who built the framework would have wanted to. It's really, really smart. It's, it's a great great uh, ecosystem of tools. And just to be clear, I'm not paid here to say this. I'm just in awe of what can be built when technical skill meets business vision. That's what Laravel is. This approach to building a self-sustaining software ecosystem is fascinating and results in excellent tooling. Because in an hour, just an hour or two, I had a complete framework with login, user authentication systems, password reset mails, billing, it has teams where users can join and create teams, invite people into their teams within the software, all plug and play. It's really cool how everything just comes together so easily. And integrating Spark, the billing system cost me $100. It's well integrated with Stripe. It's updates and syncs your data there. And just an hour or two, I set up a whole SaaS backend, which if I had built it myself, would have taken me weeks to figure out. And then I got to implement the basics, right? Messages and channels and widgets and landing pages, all the things needed for my voice messaging system. Uh, figured out how to use Laravel's backend processes, they call them queues, to use FFmpeg for audio conversion, how then to call my Whisper CPP and Llama CPP implementations to do the computation-heavy AI work, and how to pull it all together. I had to end up writing my own audio capture component because I looked for open source ones where you could just, you know, like get a view component in there and record audio, but those were not as reliable as I needed them because I needed to support high quality wave content. 
and an audio player for my backend that looks a certain way, a lot of smaller things. So I had to build all of this myself, but won't dive into this too much. You know, software can always talk about every single feature. But right now I have a mostly working product. This is a week old. Messages can be recorded from the browser. They're automatically transcribed, they're summarized, and they can be listened to and downloaded from the backend. That's pretty what it is, pretty much, which is bizarre because all of this took me a week of coding every now and then. And of course, there's still things to implement, like email notifications and stuff. That's what I'm going to get at next. But that's not going to be too much of a challenge compared to the other things, I guess. The tooling around Laravel is spectacular. And there are even local email testing tools to make this easier. It's quite cool to have found an ecosystem that has thought about all of this. So let's maybe look at the money right now. Obviously, I have zero customers not having launched this yet. But let's look at the economics of the business right now. Hosting cost me around 20 bucks a month on the Hetzner cloud. I have a, a dedicated server there with like 16 gigabytes of RAM, not too much, but just what I need to run my AI that I have in the background there on a like a single worker queue, right? If people send messages one by one, they'll be translated and summarized. And that's pretty much what it is. It will never run out of RAM because that system will always just ever run one of these AIs and then send requests to it. It's really cool. So 20 bucks for that. AWS S3, where I host files, is around one to like two dollars right now. Probably it's going to scale with more data saved, but that's just how it is. That's what the paid plans are going to be for. The deployment tool chain is like $25, $30 altogether. The domain, 20 bucks a year. Email hosting is around 20 bucks a month as well with, with Google or whatever. And everything else, I think Cloudflare, GitHub, the language models is free. So that puts current cost around like $90, $100 a month, which at the current pricing would either need five solo customers or two premium customers to make this business profitable, which is a manageable challenge, right? Solo customers is 20 bucks a month. Um, premium customers is 50 bucks a month, which is quite cheap. I probably won't keep these prices that low, particularly because these podcasts that I'm aiming for at the higher tier, they are well monetized. So a tool like this can easily go into the hundreds, but let's keep it at 50 for now. Uh, beginner pricing, right? If not all features are fully complete, might as well give them uh, kind of some, some savings. And finding two premium customers or five solo customers in a world where thousands of people have tools like this and pay for it, that's a manageable challenge. It's one I'm looking forward to. So here we are, the beginnings of a new software product out in the open from week one, which starts now or started a week ago and I'm sharing it with you now. I'll be sharing my journey as I build Podline into a business that can coexist with other players in the field because I will focus on serving serious podcasters and audio-centric creators who want a community with their existing listeners and manage the resulting data effectively and efficiently. Over the next days and weeks and months and maybe years, I'll share all my updates, my progress, my experiments, hopefully screenshots, videos, and even customer outreach strategies with you. And while working on this project, I'll still be active in the community, obviously, and continue writing my newsletter and doing my podcast. I'll keep conducting interviews, obviously. Podline will remain a side project, or rather, one of the many small bets that I'm making. But it is an exciting new feature for me and a new, new venture for me to go on and I can't wait to see where it goes. Let's see what we can create together because that's what building in public is all about. Now, 
I need a few deadlines. That's how I work. I want to make sure that I don't waste time fidgeting with features and bug hunting for too long. I know that as an engineer, I can easily get sucked into these things and forget to actually do my marketing and run a business, which is why I want to officially launch latest January 6th of 2024. And by launch, I mean start actively marketing the product to the people it's for. This gives me four weeks, and a four-week time frame will be enough time to dive into functionality, UI, and UX to build a tool that can, I guess, call it cross the chasm to the not-so-technical prospects that are in my target audience, right? I can't give them like a half-baked tool and it has to be nice from the start. It'll also give me time to kickstart partnerships and integrations that will help Hotline fit into existing workflows, which I want it to. I don't want it to be a standalone product that people have to kind of work around. I want to be part of the workflows that people have. So I need to, you know, get on websites, get into existing landing pages, you know, integrate Sapier, if this and that, make these kind of things to alert people when stuff happens. And I guess most importantly, what I want to do right now is to start gathering feedback both from my future customers, podcasters, and also their listeners right now. And this could be you, which is why I would love to ask you to go to podline.fm, P-O-D-L-I-N-E dot F-M, or even better, podline.fm slash Arvid, and send me a voice message with your questions about the project or your ideas, your thoughts, your recommendations, all kinds of feedback I would like for you to try it out to see if it works for you. That would be interesting to know. And if it does, just send me a nice message. And if you have a question that you would like me to answer on this podcast, obviously, podline.fm slash Arvid is exactly the place to go. So head over to podline.fm slash Arvid and check it out. I would love to hear from you. And here's to building a public. That's it for today. I want to briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com, whom I hope to list this SaaS business on in the future. Um, but let's think about a situation that a lot of founders might find themselves in right now. You're a founder who's built a SaaS product. It's really solid. You've got customers. You have monthly recurring revenue. You live the dream. Problem is you've stopped growing for every reason, for whatever reason it might be, right? Maybe lack of focus, lack of skill, lack of interest, and just feel stuck in your business. What to do? Well, the story that everybody wants to hear is that you buckled down and did audience building, marketing, and sales outreach, and you made all that money six months down the road because you really, really dove into it. You tripled your revenue. Everything is successful. But realistically, it's not as simple as this. This situation is hard, and it's different for every founder facing this particular crossroad. Too many times, the story that we end up hearing is one of inaction and stagnation until the business becomes completely like worthless, loses value until it is worth nothing. So if you find yourself here already at this spot, or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would honestly consider selling your business on acquire.com. Because if you capitalize on the value of your time as a founder today, that's smarter than letting it just peter out. Acquire.com is free to list. You're not committing to anything there. You, they've, they've helped hundreds of founders already list and get sold. So Go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you and your business right now. doesn't have to be, but it's always good to be prepared and just to check things out. Thank you for listening to The Boots of Founder today. Really glad you're along with me on this story of building in public and building a new business. Let's see where it goes. You can 
Find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-A-D-K-H-L. I'll be posting updates there. And you'll also find my books in my Twitter course there too, if you're interested. If you want to support me and the show, well, today, I guess I would say, please go to podline.fm slash Arvid and send me a message or subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your player of choice and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. That makes a massive difference if you show up there because then the podcast will show up in other people's feeds and any of this will help the show. Thank you so much for sticking around. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.